Brothers and sisters, please open your Bibles with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. This pearl among the gold of Scripture. Pattern of Christ's prayer in heaven for us. Where Christ opens, so to speak, the curtains of heaven to show us what his prayer for us is like in heaven. As he also uh, prepares himself for the coming of the cross. We will read, for the sake of time, from verse 6 through 19. 6 through 19. This morning we'll study from verse 14 through 16. This evening, by God's grace, we intend to study from verse 17 through 19. Focusing in on verse 14 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world... I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Thus far, God's holy and perfect word, brothers and sisters, let's go before him in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would open this passage to us. Give us the joy to know what to expect, the joy of resting in you, no matter what may come, trusting your name and no other. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the most famous best-selling books about pregnancy is called What to Expect 
when you are expecting. What to expect when you're expecting. This is a book that I'm certain many of you have somewhere on your shelves, especially uh, those parents uh, have them on their shelves because no one likes to be surprised by something so important as a pregnancy, as, as the delivery of a child. So this book, it goes through everything from morning sickness to what it comes, uh, what it what you need to think about when it comes time for delivery. Part of the reason of the popularity of this book is because everyone wants to know what to expect when something so important takes place. When a new child is to be brought into the world, everyone wants to know, well, well what am I to expect uh, when, when this happens? What are my dangers here? What are the blessings? When someone knows what to expect, well, then they can have a lot of comfort with regards to the future. And when they face a hardship or, or some trial in their pregnancy, then they can say, okay, at least I knew this was coming. Brothers and sisters, we have before us in our passage a sort of description of what we as Christians ought to expect when it comes to the relationship we have with the world. If you have been born again as a new Christian, belonging to Jesus Christ, if God has changed your heart, given you new life through Christ Jesus, we ought to ask ourselves, now what? What ought I to expect with the relationship that I have between me and the world, between me and God? How should we expect the world to react to our status as people of God? How should we ourselves act? And how will God act toward us? Well, ultimately, congregation, in these verses before us this morning, there are two things that we ought to expect. The first one should be very clear. We ought to expect the hatred of the world. The hatred of the world. The first thing we ought to notice in our passage this morning, brothers and sisters, is that the world hates the disciples. Look with me at verse 14. Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. By the world here, Jesus is referring to those who are blind, who are dead in their sins and their trespasses, the people who oppose Jesus and who seek to destroy him. Now you need to know, congregation, when you come to this passage, that Jesus is not giving the disciples any new information in fact, the whole of this prayer in John 17 is summarizing and considering the things that Jesus has been speaking about in chapter 13 through 16. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, while he was preparing to go to the cross, he spent a surprisingly large chunk of time 
talking about the hatred that the world would have for believers. I'll just read a portion of it to to jog your minds a bit. Look with me at John 15, verses 18 through 20. 15, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Turn the page to uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 2, and Jesus returns to this same theme or rather continues the same theme. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. Once again, just a few verses later, John 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, the disciples had heard the truth that, there, that, that the world would hate them. They had heard the truth that the world uh, would, would seek their destruction. And not only that, brothers and sisters, but the disciples had not only heard it, but they'd also seen this very same hatred with their very eyes. They had seen how people like Nicodemus were mocked for listening to Christ. When Nicodemus uh, sought to to tell the, the world that maybe they should hear Jesus out, the Jewish leaders mocked him. These disciples had seen that people had been thrown out of synagogues for following Jesus. You can read about that in John chapter 9. They had seen how for some time now the Jewish leaders had been seeking to put Jesus himself to death. The disciples knew that Jesus was walking toward the cross. Even as Jesus was praying this prayer, the plan was in action to find, to arrest, and to kill their Savior and their King. The disciples knew that the world hated them. We ought to ask ourselves why. Why does the world hate Christians? Why does the world hate Christ so fiercely? Jesus himself gives us that reason once more in verse 14. He says, I have given them your word. And just a little later, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. These disciples were at one point in their lives a people of the world, as verse 6 tells us in our chapter, 
But God's word had changed them. It had given them new life. And it, it, it had, God had taken their heart of stone. He had given them a heart of flesh. By the working of the word as Jesus had preached to his disciples, as he had corrected their errors, as he had led them along, and as they had heard the good news of Jesus Christ, the Savior for sinners, God had worked in their hearts. And as a result, they no longer belonged to the world. They didn't fit in. As a result, they were no longer welcome among the people of the world. It is common when, when a friend goes off uh, to and has some major experience in their lives where uh, they live in a different country or, or where they, they study a certain studies that this sort of thing changes their lives and when they come home, they are not the same person that they were before. Perhaps they don't uh, fit in the way that they used to. In the same way, these disciples had been changed radically from who they were to who God made them to be. No longer were they welcome among the people of the world. Brothers and sisters, if you belong to Jesus Christ you can expect that this same struggle the disciples faced, you will face as well. It is certain that you have experienced something like this in your own lives. Perhaps you have not identified it as such, but if you are a Christian, it can only mean that God has changed your heart and so it is no longer in line with the rest of the world. Your desires will be different, though certainly you will struggle with sin. Nonetheless, those who belong to heaven no longer love the things that they once loved. They have different loves, different desires. Most importantly, Christians no longer love their sin, but they love to please God. Have you seen this in your own hearts, friends? Boys and girls, do you see that your desires are not like the desires of the world? Likewise, your, your thinking will be different when you belong to Jesus Christ. You may fall into worldly thinking at times, but nonetheless, brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, then your mind is captive to Christ. It can't be captivated or distracted for long by sin or by that which dishonors God, but rather your mind will be turning over and over and returning and thinking on God. Likewise, friends, if you are a Christian, your actions will be different. Certainly, we struggle. But if you've been crucified to the world and its lusts, then the world and its lusts will no longer satisfy you. You will live a different life as a result of Christ's work. Just as Jesus Christ 
was not from the world and therefore the world would not recognize him or know him, so too, if you are in Christ, you will be different. And the world will hate you for it. There is a wonderful passage from Pilgrim's Progress that illustrates this. I believe I've mentioned it uh, before, but as Christian walks through the town of Vanity Fair, the people see him and they begin to mock him. If you have not read Pilgrim's Progress, do it this week. But as Pilgrim walks through this town, the people see him, they see that his clothes are different because he is going to a different country. The way he speaks is different because God is upon his lips. But most of all, uh, he is different because he will not live the way that other people live. He refuses to look at the things that the world, this, this vanity fair has to sell him. Instead, casting his eyes to heaven, he says, I will buy the truth. This difference creates such a hatred that Christian and his friend Faithful were soon imprisoned, despised, mocked, and Faithful was killed. What then should we do when we face persecution? Well, friends, first of all, do not be surprised when the world hates you. Expect it. In fact, you should count on it. As a foregone conclusion, Scripture tells us as much time and time again. Second Timothy says, All who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. First John 3 verse 13 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that the world hated Jesus and sought to destroy him. We know that the world hated the early church, so why should we expect anything different? Right now in the U.S., we have some measure of freedom when uh, it comes time to preach the word, when it comes time to worship God. Praise the Lord for that. Give thanks to God that we have that freedom. But there may come a time There will come a time when we no longer have that. Even now, many of you have faced persecution to one degree or another, perhaps not in the loss of freedom, but in the loss of friends, in co-workers that no longer want to talk to you. Expect it. It will happen. Second, you should expect and be encouraged when the world hates you. This may seem at first a little counterintuitive. Why should I be encouraged when the world hates me? Well, brothers and sisters, because you can take it as a proof. Not the only proof, but a proof that you belong to Christ and not to the world. 
If you belonged to the world, the world would love its own. But Luke chapter 6 verse 22 says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Certainly, belonging to Jesus Christ is not license for us to be jerks. There are people who say, well, I'm suffering persecution uh, because I belong to Christ, when in fact there are people who are just rude to others. But rather, congregation, if you are faithful to Jesus Christ, the world will hate you. Be encouraged by it. To know that you belong to Jesus. If, on the other hand, friends, the world does not hate you, well, you should be concerned. The world naturally is at enmity with Jesus and all who belong to him. If you are always agreeing with the world, if the world is always agreeing with you, if you do not love God's people, you ought to be very concerned because persecution is a major mark of those who belong to Jesus Christ. If you have not suffered persecution, you ought to at least consider, am I preaching God's word faithfully? Am I standing up for the cross of Jesus Christ? And if you are always agreeing with the world congregation, you should ask the question as well, am I a part of the world? Or am I a part of Christ? Second, however, congregation, and the second major thing that we can see from our passage this morning, we ought to see that we can expect protection from evil. Protection from evil. Because we can expect persecution, Jesus prays for us here. Look with me at verse 15 and 16. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'd like to draw your attention, friends, to three very important points in this. Notice what Christ does not ask. He says here, I do not pray that you would take them from the world. I do not pray that you would take them from the world. Just about every Christian certainly has had this desire to be taken from the world, to leave behind the world with all its sin, with all its struggles, with all its hardships, with the hatred that we face for belonging to Christ. That's a perfectly normal feeling. We should want that from our lives, to be present with Christ, to no longer be steeped in this sinful world. That would be a wonderful thing. Paul himself says, as for me, it would be better to be away from the body and to be present with the Lord. We know furthermore, friends, that at some point in the future, this desire will be a reality. Jesus will come to take us to be with him. 
This world of sin will be destroyed. God will make a new heavens and a new earth. And, and, and the former things will pass away. And friends, we ought to have this desire deep within us. If we belong to Christ, to no longer be part of the world. But friends, notice that Jesus does not pray for this at this moment. In his prayer uh, on earth, he prays that the people not be taken from the world. It ought to be clear then, friends, that the disciples and we ourselves will face hardship. More precisely, we will face persecution, the hatred of the world. God's prayer, or Jesus' prayer here, does not promise us an easy life. we can expect that these hardships will come. We're not going to be uh, uh, raptured so that we no longer face tribulation and hardship. But notice, second, what Christ does ask for. He says, I do not ask that you take them from the world, but then he says that you should keep them from the evil one. That you should keep them from the evil one. The Greek here is somewhat ambiguous. Jesus literally says, I pray that you might keep them from the evil. Jesus could be speaking about Satan here, uh, as our translation seems to indicate, by adding the word one, keep them from the evil one. Or it could be referring to evil in general. Keep them from evil. Protect them from, uh, from temptation. Either way, the point ultimately boils down to the same thing. Jesus asks his Father to care for his people so that even when we must face persecution, we still will be protected. So that not a hair can fall from our heads without the will of our Heavenly Father. So that nothing will happen to us except that which God wills. So that we will be protected from falling and failure on the last day. Brothers and sisters, if you were to ever watch a small child playing around, uh, sometimes they will come to a point where they fear danger. Child on a swing that is afraid to continue swinging because he's, he's afraid that he'll fall off. Or, or on some sort of playground, but he's afraid uh, to do much because he fears that somehow he might be hurt. And yet you know that their parents will protect their children. That the parents are watching to make sure that uh, if they fall, that they're right there to pick them up to protect their children. Well, in the same way, congregation, there are times when we will fear, yet we do not always recognize or remember the fact that God is preserving us from evil. He is there to protect us. Notice finally why Christ asks this prayer. 
Once more, he makes it clear. He asks because the people belong to him. He says in verse 16, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. These people belong to God. They have been saved by him for his glory. We are no longer a people of the world. Instead, just as Jesus belongs to heaven, so too these disciples and we ourselves as citizens of the heavenly kingdom know that God will protect us. One of the greatest blessings of being an American citizen, friends, is that that the American government, at least until recently, would take care of its citizens, would do anything to keep its citizens safe. If we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom, then we can know that God will protect his own. To apply this fact for a few moments, friends, You should not only expect the hatred of the world, you should expect that hatred to bubble over into hardship in the world if you belong to Christ. When persecution comes, welcome it as a sign and a standard of the fact that you are his. They persecuted someone far, far better than you in in killing Jesus Christ. The scars that you receive from the world are nothing compared uh, to the thing that Christ received. And they are nothing more than the things that mark you as Christians. Expect this hardship. Expect uh, to be in the world for a time. As the world beats against you. Expect it. Expect, too, that without God's help, we would fail. We cannot make it without God's work. There's a reason that Jesus prays this prayer before us this morning. He knows that without God sustaining us, we will surely fail. Jesus said as much when he was speaking to the disciples in the upper room where he said, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Friends, you and I, we are not better than these disciples. If we were left to our own strength, we would fail. If left to our own strength, we too would deny Christ. If left to our own strength, we would be lost utterly, completely. We would be quickly overwhelmed. And yet, Jesus prays this prayer that we would be kept from evil. And he continues to pray this prayer from heaven. Pray for God. Pray to God for help in times of trouble. Because you cannot make it on your own. Third, however, congregation, if it is true that we need God's help, if it is true that Jesus prays here, 
expect God's help. Expect that God will protect you from all that can harm you spiritually. Christ's prayers here and in heaven will not fail. God will keep you safe. Though trials may uh, rear their ugly head, though persecution will come, God keeps his own. Do you recognize this, friends? Boys and girls, do you know that when you are tempted, you can go to God? You can trust and know that he will listen? Jesus prayed this prayer, and he was about to go uh, to the death for our sakes. But he died so that we might live. Yes, we will suffer persecution, but we have been redeemed by the Father, and so we know that he will keep us safe. And what's more, Jesus Christ, as this prayer is a pattern for his prayer in heaven, we know that Jesus Christ continues this prayer from the right hand of the Father, saying, keep this my child safe from evil. Therefore, use this prayer as a defense against temptation, friends. Jesus' words will never fail. God has promised to defend you against evil. Though you may struggle with sin, you have been promised God's help. What then, in conclusion, friends, ought we to expect? From the world, we ought to expect persecution. From God, however, we ought to expect his help. Because from Jesus Christ, we can expect his prayer. And therefore, by belonging to him, we can expect to be held fast. As the book of Psalms says, hold me up and I will be upheld. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning thanking you for your word. Clear, open. A word which teaches us of the wonder of Jesus Christ. A word which teaches us to have comfort. We pray, Lord, for those who do not have this comfort this morning, that you would give them the comfort to be found in Jesus Christ. We pray, too, Lord, for the world which now hates us. We pray that you would, would work in the hearts of the lost to bring them to your fold, that they would no longer belong to the world, but belong to you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.